Good morning. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. As we have the privilege of studying and learning Parsha's Korach together. Parsha's Korach as we continue the journey of the Jewish people through their adolescence in the desert. A period of complaining, a period of rebelliousness, a period of uh, stubbornness and irritability. A period where the Jewish people are continuing to find it themselves. I want to thank our generous Parsha series sponsors for the year. Big thank you to Becky and Avi Katz and family who sponsored the Parsha series for the year in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Le'ila Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manus. Today's year is also sponsored by Jennifer and Dr. Rani Herman in memory of Sarat Sirobas Yidol Price, a, a courageous woman who did not lose her amuna despite surviving the Holocaust by David and Shoshi Meyerfeld in tribute to the 33rd year site of the beloved father Menachem Ben Uri Shraga Manfred Meyerfeld, who's Neshama Shadav and Aliyah, and co-sponsored by my parents, uh, Avi Mori Imi Murasi Bashev and Mori Goldberg in memory of my Zayda, Sam Aboff, Shmua Ben Yona Gedalia, my beloved grandfather with whom I was incredibly close and from whom I learned so much about life, not only what to say and when to say, but when to stay quiet, when to listen, when to learn. A tremendous, a tremendous influence in my life and a very special, special man. And lastly, by Ron Eisenberg in memory of his father Mordechai Eisenberg and his bubby Bessie Eisenberg, whose Yurit sites are on the 3rd of Thomas, 18 years apart. Same day that his daughter, Maya, was born two years later. Thank you so much to all of our generous sponsors. We are on page 800 and... Let us precious Korach begin in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Page 820 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. The story of Korach. We have a lot to say. We're going to draw as we have been doing all year from the Ishtamid, the wonderful Sefer of Rav Yisrael Meir Druk, who has tremendous, tremendous insights on Parshas Korach. First of all, I want to recommend a new book to you. By my friend David Wolf called Torah IQ. Torah IQ, the great Torah riddle book. If you're looking for a great book on the Parsha for your Shabbos table to pose questions, to offer answers, to challenge yourself, to challenge others, how well riddles on the Parsha each and every week. Here's a sample from Parsha's Korach. Who was Korach's most famous descendant? What six Parshios are named for people? How did Korach become wealthy? Find a Pasuk in the Torah where among its 17 words are one verb, 10 names, and the remaining six words are all from the same root word. All great questions. If you know the answers, then you should get the book. If you don't know the answers, you should definitely get the book. A wonderful new book. Okay, with that we jump in. Page 820. Parsha introduces us to the protagonists, to the main characters, to the individuals who incite and launch this rebellion against Moshe, against Aaron, and ultimately, really, against the Rebbe against the Almighty, against God's vision and against God's plan. And among them are Korach, son of Yitzhar, son of Kas, son of Levi. We give us all lineage here. Dasan and Aviram, the sons of Eliav, and On ben Peles, the son of Reuven. And what did they do? They stood up, they rose against Moshe. They rose against the Jewish people. They numbered 215. They were leaders of the assembly. Those who had come, they were men of renown. And they gathered. And what was their complaint? It's too much for you. We're all equally holy. Hashem is amidst and among all of us. Who are you? What makes you special? What makes you stand out? Why do you assert your leadership? And why are you, why are you expressing yourself? Moshe, Moshe is overwhelmed. 
Vayipol apanav. All Moshe does is selflessly give. All Moshe does is the dedication and devotion to Klai Yisrael, to the Jewish people. And what's his reward? What does he get in return? This rebelliousness. And the story, of course, continues to unfold the plot of what happens next. So let's look first at a beautiful piece by Rav Druk. On the opening Rashi, Rashi says, Vayikach Korach. Rashi says, Parsha zu yofe nidreshes b'medrash Rebbe Tanchuma. Oh, says Rashi, this Parsha, it's kishmak. It is extrapolated beautifully in the medrash Tanchuma. And one does Rav Druk. Hashayel in the Shelas. Ma Rashi balalam denu bezos. What in the world is Rashi teaching us? Rashi only comments when he has something to add. Rashi is answering a question, usually an implicit question. He doesn't even articulate explicitly. What in the world is Rashi adding when he says, oh, this Gavaldiga Geshmak Parsha, this Parsha is expounded magnificently in the Medrash. V'chishar ha-Parsha she-Betorah enam nidrashos yafa? Are the rest of the Parshas in the Torah, are they not expounded? Is the Drush not wonderful? We don't find Rashi uh, giving such a support to Medrash elsewhere. What is Rashi trying to tell us? What is he getting at? What is his message? It's an unnecessary comment, a gratuitous comment, doesn't seem to add anything. So Rav Druk quotes his father, Rav Mordechadruk, the Drash Mordechai. Who said, We know that there are multiple levels, multiple meanings, multiple approaches or perspectives to every Pasuk in the Torah. Pardes, Pshat, Drash, Remez, Sod. We have the simple meaning of the text. We have the extrapolation or expounding in the text. We have the allusion to the hint in the text. And we have the panemius, the deeper, significant, mystical meaning of the text. And so on. So said Rav Mordechai Druk, said Rav Druk's father, normally we have four parallel interpretations, four parallel approaches to understanding Pesukim, to understanding the narrative of the Torah. You can understand it this way, or this way, or this way, or this way. They all exist simultaneous to one another. But here, here says Rav Druk, senior, says Rav Mordechai Druk, it's impossible to understand the pshat without the drash. You cannot understand the simple meaning of the text. You cannot understand the simple unfolding of this narrative and of this story without also diving into the drush. And that's why Rashi refers us to the medrash tanchuma. Because Rashi, even though Rashi's emphasis is always the pshuto shal mikra, Rashi says, You cannot take the text out of its simple meaning those other interpretations, they are additional, supplemental levels. They build upon the simple meaning. But you cannot replace the sup- simple meaning. Normally, that's Rashi's approach. Don't dismiss and don't negate the simple meaning. Build upon it with additional meaning, but you can't reject the simple meaning. But here, Rashi rejects the simple meaning. Parshas Korach, don't take it at face value. Don't assume Korach, these others, were leading such a rebellion. Yesh Midrash Rabim, Vani Labasi says Rashi normally. So because Rashi is deviating from his normal methodology, Rashi is normally an emphasis on the simple meaning. But here he's giving us the additional layer, not as a supplemental alternative interpretation, 
but as a necessary, the drash is the simple meaning. That's why he writes, Nidreshes Yafe, Yafe Nidreshes. We give a bracha to a couple that the zivug should be only yafe. What is yafe? What do you mean? Rashi here says yafe nidreshes. It is well extra- expounded upon. We say the zivug should be only yafe. This young couple, and we're making shavu brachas and offer of the Shabbos. Zivug should be only yafe. This a couple, this union should should elevate well. What does the word yafe mean here? The word yafe is when there's a beautiful integration. The word yafe is when things work out, when they come together, when they connect, when they assimilate one into the other. So just like the pshat and the drash are all working together as one, united as one here, that's why Rashi uses the word and says yafe and the drashes. Similarly, when a couple get married, we say the zivim should be ola yafe. Ola Yafa means it shouldn't be combative, there shouldn't be conflict or tension. Of course, there's still an independent identity, but they should integrate, they should combine together beautifully. So all of that is really an introduction to the Parsha. And the introduction to the Parsha, says Rashi is, says Rav Druk in Rashi is, don't take it at face value. It's easy to read our Parsha and see Korach as a total villain. Torah is a total rebellious, uh, self-centered egomaniac. Korach is unsatisfied in life. That is a mistake. Korach was righteous in many ways. Chazal, Rishonim, Achronim, there's a lot of debate about Korach. And Korach certainly made mistakes and he paid the great price. Korach, of course, was swallowed by the ground. He paid the great price. He made an enormous, enormous, irreversible mistake. But does that mean that we can dismiss him as being somebody so uh, negative, so pathetic? Careful, says Rashi. Turn to the Drash, turn to the Medrash Tanchuma. Don't take this parsha at face value. Number one. Number two. Rashi continues and Rashi tells us, Vayikach Korach Korach took. Previously in parsha classes, we're not going to review what we said in the past. You can listen to many years of parsha class online. Vayikach, the whole problem began because Korach was a taker. In life you can be a giver or a taker. In life you're about being of service or you're about what others can do for you. You're a giver or you're a taker. Vayikach Korach Korach was on the take. Korach was a taker. He was positioned to be a leader. He had so much to contribute and to lead in this world, but Vayikach, his talents, his skills, his blessings, instead of recognizing that they gave him responsibilities, duties, and obligations, he saw them as giving him rights and privileges. Instead of seeing it as an opportunity, he saw it as an entitlement. Vayikach, he was a taker. Vayikach, Korach, he took that mentality. You could look at the same set of circumstances. The same, it can present the same skills, the same talents, but do we use them to take or do we use them to give? Do we use them to be of service or we use them to receive the service of others? Says Rashi, He took himself over to one side. He divided himself, he distinguished himself from the rest of the community in order to bring up a major machlokas in order to challenge the priesthood. Espaleg means to split in half. Machlokas, chelek, a part of, to divide. The root of all machlokas, why machlokas is so pernicious, is because it divides. We're all about uniting. Jewish people's strength is all about being a whole, being united, being a family, being together. Not monolithic, doesn't mean uniform, 
We don't have to agree. We don't have to look or resemble exactly the same, but we do have to get along. We have to get along. Korach broke that getting along. Espaleg, machlokas, plugta. He created division. He sowed division among the Jewish people. Vayikach, he took himself over to one side. Says Rav Druk, the word Vayikach means to take, to take something. What did Korach take? In other words, what was bothering Rashi? What was bothering Chazal? They read our Parsha and they read these opening words Vayikach, Korach, and Korach took, and they wonder, what did he take? He took a sandwich? Took a cell phone? Took a selfie? What did he take? Vayikach, he took. What did he take? To which they conclude, he took himself. So why didn't it just say that? The Unklus' translation just indicates or reflects. Espaleg means he divided himself from the community. He split, he splintered from the community. Where did Rashi see from there? Lokach es atzmo. How do you take from Unklus' translation that he divided, he splintered from the community? How does one take from that translation that it means that Lokach is Atzmo, he took himself? Venira Levar, so says Rav Druk the following. Again, going back to the opening interpretation we just offered. You cannot simply read this on the surface. You cannot simply read Parsha's Korach superficially. You have to realize Korach had not only potential, Korach had greatness. He was from the tribe of Levi. Perhaps he was among those who responded to Moshe's call. After the terrible miscalculation of the Cheta Egel, when Moshe declared, when Moshe called out, Who is for God? Come with me. Maybe Korach was among those who responded positively. Korach was a Chacham. He was wise. He was learned. He was among those who carried the Aaron. Korach was a Chacham. He was a brilliant scholar. He was a Navi. He was a prophet. He had Ruach HaKodesh. He was a Pikeach. He was smart, analytical, intellectual. When Korach was at his best, when we're at our best, we don't have an identity called Atzmo. It's not about us. It's not about our ego. We are not the brand. You know who's the brand? You know who's the mission? You know who's the cause? Not me, my pleasure, my honor, my bank account, my joy. God. Bore Olam. The brand, the mission, is all about Hashem, not about us. So when Korach was at his best, when he was a Chacham and Navi and a Pikeach, when he was a Baruch HaKodesh, he had no sense of Atzmo. He had no ego. He had no id. He had no identity. Ulam kasher Moshe. But what happened? What happened was, all of a sudden he woke up. And all of a sudden, insecurity, inadequacy, whatever was the driver, he said, why not me? I should be the leader. His chalachlo, he began to disagree, divide. It began to be confrontational with Moshe. He challenged the Litzafan. He challenged that Aaron was the high priest. You know what happened? 
he discovered his ego. He discovered his sense of atzmo. We are supposed to submit, surrender our atzmo. We are supposed to We're supposed to submit our will to God's will. God's will is for us to have happiness and pleasure, and joy and good things. It doesn't mean you have to suffer through life, but it means that we submit to his vision, to his blueprint, to his plan. It's not about atzmo. It's not about me, my ego, but it's about God. But the moment Korach made it personal, the moment Korach became bruised, the moment Korach began to challenge leadership, all of a sudden he discovered and he inflated and he advanced and he promoted his sense of atzmo. So the answer is, you know what he took? He took. You know what he took? He took a selfie. That's exactly what he took. A selfie. Not with a camera. He took a selfie called the self. In life, selflessly, that's what we should be taking. Pictures of others, not ourselves. You know, everybody pose. Let me take a picture of you. Let me take a selfless. Not, not take a selfie. Vayikach, Korach, who was a Chacham and a Navi and a Baruch HaKodesh and a Bikeach, Korach, who had all the ingredients for greatness. But the key was for it to be directed in advancing the will of God. All of a sudden, his ego got in the mix. Lakach es atzmo. He discovered his atzmo. He discovered his identity, his sense of self, his ego. Lakach, he took it. He took a selfie. And once he did, it was down there from there. But how did that happen suddenly? How did this Navi Chacham Pikeach, how did this brilliant, wise prophet, Balmidos from the tribe of Levi, carried the Aaron, answered the call, what happened? How did he lose his sense of self? Or how did he gain his sense of self? How did he gain that selfie? And the answer says Rav Druk is based on the Mishnah in Avos. The Mishnah in the fourth chapter of Avos writes, We know there are three things that the world rests on. Torah, Avodah, Gemilas Chasadam. The balance of the world in general and the balance of our individual worlds, our equilibrium, our mental health is Torah, learning and living Torah, Avodah, serving God and serving others, davening, spirituality, and Gemilas Chasadam, caring about others. And there's a corollary. The inverse of the three things the world exists on are the three attitudes or mentalities that remove us from the world. And what are they? Kinna, jealousy, taiva, lust, and covet the pursuit of honor. The commentary of Rav Yomtev, Lipman Heller, the Tosas Yomtev, buried in Krakow, in the Ramashul, in the cemetery outside the Ramashul. He writes, quote, Motzina Sodom in Olam, but Miktas Perish Rashi, Hakina, Shekana Korach, Bemosheva Aaron, Hataiva, so the Tosos Yantav gives an example of individuals who succumbed, who gave in to these three negative traits, kenataiva and kavod, jealousy, lust, and honor, and each of them lost their world. Each of them lost their balance, lost their family, sacrificed and law, forfeited their world. Who is the symbol? Who is the poster person of somebody who lost their entire world because they gave in to a sense of jealousy? Was Korach. Korach became jealous of Moshe Aaron. So therefore, the moment he gave in to that envy, that, je- that jealousy, he lost his spiritual anchor. He lost his spiritual compass. He was lost. If you're in a spiritual place, if you're pursuing your neshama, if you are nourishing your soul, then your soul is a chilek elokami ma'al mamash. 
The soul is an actual expression, a manifestation, a piece of God from above. So the soul is all about serving God. It's of being of service. It's about being marbek v'chaman kiddush Hashem, advancing God's will in this world. But the moment that you conflate, that you mix, and you add your own personal negiyah, it's about you. Then you've lost that spiritual anchor, that compass. When we cling to God, we're not thinking. On Wednesday mornings in our living with Amuna, we're learning Revit Shemayr, Biyam but the Midah of Bittal. The Midah of Bittal. When you're in the presence of greatness, when you are preoccupied with some great activity, you're not thinking about yourself. You can neglect yourself. Run the risk. Not eating, not sleeping, not drinking, dehydrating. You could neglect yourself. You're so lost in the greatness of the other. Bittal. We can get lost in the greatness of God to the point of not even thinking about or seeing ourselves as existing independent of Him. The moment we start to focus on our ego, our self, our atzmo, then we've lost God, and that was Korach's downfall. Lakach is atzmo, and that's where Rashi got it from. Espaleg, machlokas. Lakach, vayikach, what did he take? He took a selfie. He took a selfie. The moment you start taking selfies, the moment it's all about you, the moment you're showing off, you're sharing, you're promoting, you're branding you, not Torah, not the will of Hashem, not inspiring lives, but it's all about you, Lakach is atzmo. He took atzmo. What he took was the atzmo. He almost literally took a selfie, and that was his mistake, that was his downfall. Now the question is, among the individuals that the Torah counts who were part of inciting this rebellion, of course, first and foremost, primarily is Korach. He's the top of the leadership, Korach. Dasan and Aviram, we understand, and Own Ben Pelas. Now, what do we know about Own Ben Pelas? We know he married well. Amarav, Own Ben Pelas, Ishto Hatsilaso. Who saved him? His wife. I'll just say about the last interpretation, by the way. This notion of Atzmo, today's Parshashir is in memory, among others, of Maizeda, of Sam Aboff. He was the superintendent of the whole public school system of Elizabeth, New Jersey. He gave his life, Torah, Masora, trying to promote Jewish education around the country. And uh, of course, to his family. Maizeda's, I think, defining characteristic was his humility and his modesty. He was a great man, a brilliant man, and he made a huge difference in life. But he was humble and soft-spoken. He didn't have to be the loudest in the room. He didn't need to get the attention in the room. He didn't need to get the honor or the gratitude or the appreciation for what he did. But he was soft-spoken. He was modest. That sense of atzmo. He was all about serving the will of Hashem and serving his family and not the sense of atzmo. So back, Own Ben Pelas says the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Daf Kuftes, Sanhedrin 109b. Amarav Own Ben Pelas Ishto Hitzilaso. Own Ben Pelas married well. His wife saved him. What do you care? Mrs. Ben Peles says to her husband, Own, what do you care? Moshe's the number one. You're still number two. So Korah's going to replace Moshe. You'll still be his number two. So what do you care? What's in it for you? She wasn't able to fully convince him, so she schemed. She uncovered her hair, and when men came to the house in order to meet with and conspire with him, they were turned away. So the Gemara says that Owen, in the end of the day, was saved. His wife, first she tried to persuade and convince him. When that was ineffective, she took matters into her own hands in order to save him, in order to save him, which has been a Tremendous, uh, happened many, many, many times since. Righteous women who have a strong moral compass, 
who can see clearly and be Roa Es Hanolad, have stepped up and stepped in and intervened to try to save their husband, their family, many times since. Kamochen Gemara says, Dasan Shavra Das El, Aviram, Sheiber Atzmeasos Chuva, Own, Sheyashav Baaninus, Peles, Shenashula Plaos, Ben Ruvain, Ben Shira Vehaven. The Gemara extrapolates each of their names, and we see those who gave in, those who made the mistake, those who participated in the rebellion, versus Own, who did Shuva. He came awfully close, he flirted with disaster, but he did Shuva. Sort of Druk wonders, I don't understand. If in the end of the day, Own did not in fact participate, if he stopped short, if his wife locked him down in the house, turned everyone away, then why is he listed with the other co-conspirators of the rebellion? Why is he listed among Korach, Dasan, Va'aviram? Own should be a footnote to the story. Some word should say, there was a man named Own, Baruch Hashem for Mrs. Own. She saved him. She set him straight. She blocked him. She set a pick. But why is Own listed in this Pasuk as if here are the leaders of the rebellion, Korach, Dasan, Aviram, and Own. Why is he included? Lemais, in the end of the day, he didn't participate. In the end of the day, he didn't do anything wrong. Says Rav Druk the following. Gemara Kedushin Daf Mem tells us that if a person has a plan for something bad, Baruch, but they didn't execute, they didn't act on it. Hashem does not treat it as if you did. Did that thought yield fruit? Did that thought manifest? Did that thought make a difference? Then Hashem treats it as if you acted. If it didn't, you're off the hook. CC. When it comes to Avodah it's different. There Hashem does treat your thought, your fantasy, your plan, as if you acted. So Korach v'adasa b'machlokosam with Moshe, Shua yarabin sh'Yisrael ulo orerin, kilu chalko ala shechinu m'meli yishlam din v'gedah shal apikorsam. Challenging Moshe and Aaron, challenging their leadership, challenging their judgment, challenging them as shlichim, as messengers, advocates, agents of God, was not simply any other fantasy to do an Avera. This was an act of Avodah Zarah. It wasn't rebelliousness against man, it was rebelliousness against God himself, because God had appointed Moshe and Aaron, and God worked and spoke through Moshe and Aaron, and they were representatives of his. They are categorically different. One of the Rambam's 13 principles of faith is to believe that Moshe is the Avanavim. He's categorically different than others. So to deny their leadership is an act of apikorsis. It's not just, you know, age-old machlokas and rebelliousness. It is actually heresy. It's apikorsis. And that's why, even though On ben Pelas didn't act, but his intention to act, when it comes to Avodah Zarah, you're guilty from intention alone. Intention matters when it comes to idolatry. And conspiring with these others against Moshe and Aaron was not just a social act against Moshe and Aaron, but was actually an act of heresy of Kvira against God himself, and therefore the intention mattered, the intention made a difference. Okay, last Rav Druk for a little bit. Take a different a break from Rav Druk momentarily, but one more. Vaikach Korach. Rashi says, we're still on the opening Pasuk in the Parsha, but there's so much to say about it. I know, we, I think in future years we'll start halfway through the Parsha, and then the year after we'll start the last third of the Parsha, because we never get to it. So much to say at the beginning of every Parsha. So Rav Druk says, the Rashi says the following, rather. 
We said, we read this Rashi already. He took himself. He took a selfie. What? What did he take? He was either on the take or Lakach. What did he take? He took a selfie. The Mishnah Novos, Perakei Mishnah Yudzayin tells us, you could have a rigorous, rich debate, which is l'shem shamayim. People debate all the time. People debate all the time for good reason. We had a committee meeting late into the night last night about something, and it was a big committee, uh, professionals and lay people. Rabbi Moskowitz and I disagreed about a certain policy, what we should do, how we should go forward. And we tripped over one another, saying over and over again, but I love you, it's a machlokas l'shem shamayim, I'll go with consensus. One can love the other, respect the other, but disagree, see things differently. We're all created independently. We are each a unique expression of Hashem in this world. And just like our DNA is not the same, similarly our appearance is not the same, and also our thought patterns, our personalities, our perspectives and attitudes are not the same, you can have a machlokas l'shem shamayim. You can have a legitimate debate where legitimately are two ways of seeing something. And that machlokas, sofalizgayim. It will last. It will be fulfilled. That machlokas is not corrupt. You could have very personal negias. You could have ego mixed in. And then, terrible things will come of it. So the Mishnah there, the Mishnah in Pirkei lists, everyone knows this Mishnah. What is an example? What is the model of a machlokas l'shem shamayim? Goldberg and Moskowitz. Just joking. Hillel and Shammai. What's a machlokas l'shem shamayim? Korach v'chol adaso. So a sample, an example of a machlokas, of a debate that is with pure intent, are Hillel and Shammai. Our rabbis, the Talmud is filled with debate. They loved one another, got along, they respected one another, but they saw things different. They had different Masoras, different traditions. Hillel and Shammai. What is an example of a machlokas? Shalol l'shem Shammayim, where the intent is corrupt, where the intent is impure. Korach v'chol adaso. Korach and his whole assembly. And all the commentaries ask, when you set up the paradigm, the example of a machlokas l'shem shamayim, you put two sides of a machlokas, Hillel in one corner, Shammai in the other corner. And when you came up with an example of a machlokas, Shalol l'shem shamayim, you didn't separate by two corners. Korach v'chol adaso, Korach and his whole assembly are in one corner. Shouldn't the Mishnah have listed what is an example of a machlokas shalol l'shem shamayim? Korach and... Moshe and Aaron. It's a classic age-old question. But listen to Rav Druk. First he quotes the Tosus Yontif. Second Tosus Yontif of the day. Rav Yontif Lipman Heller. He says the following. Quote, Which are Moshe and Aaron. We don't quote the other side. We don't say who's in the other corner. Because we're trying to give an example of a machlokas. Because we're trying to Moshe and Aaron are not in the other corner of a ring, Shalol L'Shem Shemayim. Moshe and Aaron are always, they're always with pure intent. So how could you possibly, God forbid, include them, position them as if they are in the other corner of a machlok, Shalol L'Shem Shemayim. That's number one. So you couldn't include them. The Malbim, the Malbim, Reb Meir Leibash says the following. He explains, and so on and so forth. And we should have said Korach and Moshe are in the other corner. Machlokas 
I love this insight of the Malbim. Listen carefully, my dear Parsha Perspective friends. Our second to last Parsha class before the summer. Next week is our last Parsha Perspective, and then we're taking a break till after Tishabov. So this week, next week, we're still on, and then we take a break till after Tishabov. So listen carefully to what the Malbim says. He says, How do you know if the Machlokas is Lashem Shemaim or not? When the Machlokas is Lashem Shemaim, everyone on each side of the Machlokas are united. They are one. They are of one heart because they have one intent. They're pure in their intent and so they are united in their perspective, in their approach, in the position they are advocating for. When the machlokas is shalol l'shem shemaim, when people just love fight and debate and machlokas, then there's machlokas within the machlokas. Within one side, nobody agrees. You know why? Because everyone's in it for themselves. It wasn't l'shem shemaim. It was all ego. It was all sense of self. It was all honor. It was all because of their particular need or want. Therefore, they're not united by a common pure cause. They're not united by a common pure intent. So how do you know if a machlokas is pure or impure? L'shem shemayim or lo l'shem shemayim? See whether everyone on one side of the so-called machlokas is united with a pure motivation, intent, and goal. If they are further divided, if there's infighting on one side, if the only thing holding them together is taking on the opposition, but really they themselves are not united, it's ein sofo lehiskayim. Machlokas dasan vaviram on men pelas inyan achar shemis lunno ashanitla b'chor meruven. They had a whole other fight. They were frustrated that why did Ruvain lose the firstborn status and it was awarded to the Kohanim instead? It was a different fight. Vaikach Korach. What did Korach do? Korach went around the entire camp and he assembled all the disgruntled people. He said, who's unhappy with the current leadership? He assembled all the miserable disgruntled and the only thing that bound them together, the only thing they had in common, was trying to displace and replace Moshe and Aaron. But they weren't really united with any vision or mission above and beyond that. Now I know what you're all thinking because I'm thinking it too. Does this have any relevance to possible elections in Israel, coalitions in Israel today? I'm not giving that comment. I'm not in a position. I'm not familiar. I'm not in Israel. I don't vote. I'm not commenting. Was the only thing uniting the effort to displace someone? Are there greater principles? Is it achtus of not having another election and maintaining a government? I'm not touching it with a hundred-foot pole. I'm just sharing with you what Rav Druk says, quoting the Malbim here. So the famous question, the Mishnah Navo says, Machlokas Hashem Shemaim versus Lo Lashem Shemaim. And an example of Lo Lashem Shemaim is Korach Va'adaso. Why doesn't it say Korach against Moshe or against Moshe and Aaron? First, the Tosos Yontem, because we would never impugn, we would never indict Moshe and Aaron. They're always Lashem Shemaim. We cannot put them in the same sentence as Korach Va'adaso, who came at it for a Lo Lashem Shemaim reason. That is the Tosus Yanta. The Malbim says, no, that's not why. You know why? Because you know what the Machlokas was? Korach v'choladaso. Even within Korach's side, his coalition, there was Machlokas. The only thing that united them was taking on Moshe, but they were divided. They were debating. They were fighting among themselves. They were fighting among themselves. The third interpretation is from Rav Druk. Bederek Nersef is nearly Yashiv. A third interpretation he himself offers. Tosus Yantif, Malbim, Rav Druk. The Ramban says that after Moshe heard what happens, he collapsed, he fell on his face. The Ramban writes, Moshe fell, Aaron 
Aaron stayed quiet throughout. Because Aaron said, Taka, Korach is greater than I am. Maybe he is deserving. I'm just doing the will of God. Says Rav Druk, I would never say this. Rav Druk said it. And we can depend and rely on him. Says Rav Druk, you know why the debate's not between Korach and Moshe and Aaron? Because maybe Moshe and Aaron say, Taka, Korach's got a good point. Maybe Korach's right. Maybe Korach's greater. Maybe Korach deserves the leadership. Hey God, what do you think? Moshe and Aaron were so humble and so about God and about the people and the community that they didn't react and say defensively, how dare you? They reacted and said, maybe he's right. Maybe he's right. And therefore the machlok is Korach v'adaso was not with Moshe and Aaron. Moshe and Aaron were prepared for Korach to be right. God intervened and God said they're not right. But they were prepared for Korach to be right. And that's why they're not positioned on the other side. Okay, very good. Continuing. And what was their complaint? It's too much for you. You can't handle this. Everybody's holy. And God's inside every one of us. Each of us are a We are all holy. So who are you to position yourself as superior? So why are you advancing yourself over Everyone else, why do you exalt yourself, elevate yourself, advance yourself over everybody else? Says of Simcha Banu Pshischa, what do you mean, Mat Maduatis Nasu? Midasa Shisa Semes is a name, Valib Mishalachokim, Minotelis me Mishikola Das. He says, You see, you see how corrupting Machlokas is when a person gets mixed into Machlokas, when you get involved in infighting, you know what happens? It clouds your judgment. You fail to be able to continue to see clearly. You lose perspective and you say idiotic and moronic things. If there's anything you could say about Moshe, you could accuse Moshe. I'm not even sure what you could accuse Moshe of. But to accuse Moshe of arrogance, to accuse Moshe of exalting or elevating himself, you're out of your mind. The Torah itself testifies. God himself declared that Moshe is my most humble student, disciple. He's the most humble person that ever, ever, ever lived. So if you want to start a rebellion, if you want to accuse someone of something, come up with something realistic. Come up with something believable. Come up with something they can get you at. Come up with someone. You know, there's a woman I've been fighting for, we've been fighting for tirelessly, and we have to continue to fight for her to get her get. She's an aguna. So the ma'agin, the husband, won't give the get, threatened me on WhatsApp. I had to testify in court. And he threatened me with a few foolish, moronic things that if I'd get involved and I'd advocate and fight for her, he was going to tell everyone X, Y, and Z. I'm not even going to tell you what X, Y, and Z are right now. But I said to myself, Baruch Hashem, I'm glad that's what he came up with. If he would have threatened A, B, and C, they're also not true. They also never happened. But you know, people might believe it. Now you're on the defensive, you have to disprove it. Thank God he chose something so stupid, so foolish, so obviously untrue that nobody would believe it. It wouldn't even get off the ground. So I'm not trying to give my enemies a strategy here, but uh, if you're gonna, I don't. I hope I don't have enemies. I love everybody. I hope they love me. But if you ever, uh, if I did, come up with something believable. Says of Simcha Bonuma Why did Korach come up with something so unbelievable? To accuse Moshe of arrogance, to accuse Moshe of asserting his leadership. I mean, come on, come up with something better. Miriam said that Moshe thought he was so holy that he separated from his wife. And that was wrong. And who separates from their wife? Come up with something that you can get him on. That's what you're going to get him on. Madua tisnu akal Hashem. Says Rav Simcha Bunam You see, the moment you get into machlokas, 
It's all about winning. The moment you're uber or hyper competitive in an unhealthy way, then you're willing to win at all costs. You say and you do foolish things. You do counterproductive things. Your judgment is clouded to accuse Moshe of arrogance when God said he's the most humble person ever. How big of an idiot are you? The answer is, machlokas turns you into an idiot. When you get involved and engaged in a machlokas, you're no longer thinking clearly. It turns us into idiots. It's another reason to never, God forbid, get involved. What was his argument? Keep going. Rav Lachem. Rav Lachem. Next Pasuk. Sorry. Tezayin Zayin. Turn the page. 822. So what happens? He spoke to Korach and he said, Boker. Boker v'yodah Hashem. What do you mean, Boker? Such an emphasis here on Boker in the morning. What does the morning have to do with anything? Listen to last year or two years ago's Parsha class. We talked all about the significance of Boker. The sun and the moon, the difference between day and night, sleeping on it, don't react in, immediately. When Machlokas is brewing, when Machlokas is escalating, don't be impetuous, don't react immediately, don't send back that text, don't answer that email, don't raise your voice, don't uh, line up the people on your side. Boker, sleep on it, take your time. Don't react. So what happens? Boker. And Hashem will draw close to whoever is the one that he's going to choose. So take machtos, take your fire pans, korach, put a fire, put ketoras, put incense, and whoever Hashem chooses will know. And how does Moshe end it? Hashem, the one God chooses, hu hakadosh, they are the holy, they are the chosen one. Rav lachem b'nei levi. It's too much for you, children of levi. Too much for you, the children of Levi. What is this talking about? Rav Lachem B'nai Levi. Pasuk Zayin, end of Pasuk Zayin. Rav Lachem B'nai Levi, says Rashi, Dover Godol Amarti Lachem. I'm telling you a great thing. V'lo tipshem atem. You're not foolish. V'lo tipshem hayu. Shekach hisra behem v'kiblu aleim l'karev. Elohim chatu al-nafshosah. Moshe's given him another chance. I'm warning you. This is a warning. Rav Lachem. You're not stupid. You're smart people. Think carefully. Think clearly. You sure you want to do this? Are you Roas Anolad? Korach, who was so smart, why did he give in to such stus, such foolishness? Did Korach really think for a moment that God was going to choose him over Moshe and Aaron? The answer is, Einohita. So his eye fooled him. His eye tricked him. He saw, He saw, that there was a chain of greatness destined to emerge from him. Shmuel, who was as great as Moshe and Aaron. So he said, Shmuel's coming from me. I've got greatness in my future. I'm untouchable. I'm untouchable. And therefore, he challenges foolishly. His eye, his eye fooled him. He mistakenly challenged them. Rav Lachem B'nai Levi. So, says Rav Naftali of Rapshitz, the Rapshitzer, Shebeis machlokes o meriva, yodeu lachios b'shalom shnei the Rashi tells us the Korach was a Pikeach. And why did he give into the Shtus? He only saw with one eye. So what does it mean to be a Pikeach? It's to see with two eyes. And what does it mean to see with two eyes? Says the Holy Rapshitzer of Naftali of Rapshitz. You know what it means to see with two eyes? Pikeach in Gematria is Tzad times two. Tzad is 104. 104 times 2 is 208. 208 is pikeach. Why? What does it mean, pikeach? Tzad. Sorry, 94. 
94 times 2. You see, this is why I'm a rabbi and I don't do math. 94 times 2. What does it mean to be a pikeach? Pikeach is the ability to see tutstadim, to see both sides. Tzad times 2. 94 times 2 equals gematria pikeach. What makes you a pikeach? When you can see both sides. You can have your opinion. You can draw your conclusion. You can advocate your position. But the capacity and the ability to see both sides, you're a pikeach, when you can see tzad times two, when you can see both sides. Vayikach korach, he was lakach l'tzad achad. What happened? He was a pikeach. He used to see both sides of the issue. But then vayikach, he took himself over to one side. He lost his ability to see both sides. He no longer saw with two eyes. Now he only saw with one eye. He no longer was able to work hard to see both perspectives. You know, a lot of times in counseling, particularly in couples, couples counseling, what you do is you say, role play. Okay, husband, I want you now to act like your wife. I want you to advance your wife's arguments. What are your wife's issues? What are her complaints? What are her tightness? Okay, wife, I want you to act like you're the husband. Advance your husband's frustration, his tightness, his complaints. And when you put yourself in the other person's shoes and you start talking like them, now you realize, you know, I never really saw it that way. I never really thought about it from that perspective. A pikeach, a smart, a wise person, has the capacity, the ability to see tzad times two, to see it from both directions. But Korach lost that ability. He only went over to one side. He went over to one side. His eye tricked him. He only saw one side. He lost his peripheral vision. You know, when we see with two eyes, we can see peripheral vision. We see things out of the side of our head. You know, the great uh, sports, great basketball player is able to give a no-look pass. They're able to see the defense coming over peripherally. The great, the great athlete sees with their peripheral vision, and it gives them a broader perspective. But if you're blind in one eye, if you're driving down the highway, but you're blind in one eye, then you have greater blind spots. There's a lot more room for error. So Korach used to have great peripheral vision. A Pikeach has tremendous peripheral vision. They see from all perspectives, they see from all sides, they understand different approaches. But then Korach was tricked by his eye, and he became, he lost his peripheral vision, he only saw out of one eye. He was Vayikach, he went to one side, and that's why he got himself into, that's why he got himself into trouble. We spoke about that previously, we won't review this here, but another interpretation is, what are the two eyes that we see with? Either Godless Adam, the Shiftless Adam. The Sadiguru Rebbe from Yerushalayim was here in Boca last week. I met with him late one night last night and he was telling me this Dvar Torah. He was telling me that when Moshe tells his father-in-law, stay and you will be our eyes, that you will give us that, that peripheral vision. You will give us that broad perspective. As opposed to Korach who only sees with one eye and Bilam, Shesum Ha'ayin, Bilam also only sees with one eye. We were talking in Torah about this notion of peripheral vision, seeing with one eye or two eyes. And one of the things I mentioned, it's beautiful insight by the Bali Musar. The two eyes represent Gadla Sa'adam Vishifla Sa'adam. With one eye, we see our greatness. With one eye, we say, Ma'atme Elokim, I'm just below God. With the other eye, we see our Shiflas. I'm a nothing, I'm a gurnished, I'm worm food. I come from the earth. Famously, it's been quoted in many people's names, but a Jew has to carry two notes in their pocket. One note says, Bishvili never old, the whole world is created just for me. And the other note says, the other note says, Harani I'm dust and ash. I'm an absolute, absolute nothing. So you have to see with two eyes. You have to know the blend of these two perspectives. You have to see with two eyes. So Korach, he only saw with one eye. He only saw with Godless Ha'adam. He said, We're all holy, we're all great. So who are you, Moshe? Who are you to assert yourself? He lost his dual vision. He lost perspective. He only saw with one eye, and that was his downfall. Rav Druk has another interpretation. 
Back to Rav Druk, back inside. Rav Druk says the following. One can ask, what does it mean? What does it mean? I'm looking for Rav Druk. Where is this last Rav Druk? I wanted to share. Here it is. Rav Lachem, Dabar Godol Natatam Ba'atzmachem, Lachlok Al HaKadosh Baruch Rashi says, Rav Lachem. When Moshe says, everyone get your fire pan, we'll see who God chooses. And he ends that sentence, Rav Lachem. So Rashi says, Rav Lachem, Dabar Godol Natatam. You've taken on a big, big thing. Lachlok Al HaKadosh Baruch It's one thing to challenge me, says Moshe. But you're challenging God. You're taking on God. Good luck to you. If you look at the text itself, Moshe at some point should have said, look, this isn't personal. You're not taking on me, you're taking on God. The Gemara says that Moshe was wrong. When Moshe says, Rav Lach, you're not just taking on me, you're taking on God. He was held accountable for that. The Gemara in Sota Daf Yud Gimel tells us, Amar Bilevi, Berav Biyasher, Berav Bisruhu, Berav Biser, Berav Bisruhu, Berav Biser, Rav Lachem, Berav Bisruhu, Rav Lach. Mavur B'Gemar Shaisa Tfiyah, Moshe Rabbeinu, Masham Al-Adaz Korach, Rav Lachem B'nei Levi. He shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have say, said that. And that's why he had to die. That's why God says to him, Rav Lach, Because Moshe used the language of Rav Lach towards Korach, God used the language of Rav Lach towards him when he said that stop davening to come into Israel, you're not coming in. So the question is, what did Moshe do wrong? Moshe emes v'sarasa emes. What did he do wrong? Wasn't he correct? Weren't Korach and his Ada? Weren't they taking on more than just Moshe? Weren't they also taking on God himself and God's decision, God's perspective? Where did Moshe go wrong? So Nira Levair Bisod Pashit. We can explain this as Rav Druk with a very simple understanding. Namely, and that was a mistake. Says Rav Druk, you know what the mistake was? Here you have a group of people. Here you have impetuous, immature adolescents, Korach and his Eida. And they come and they say, we want greatness, we want more, we want leadership. We're challenging. Why is she the head of the GO? Why is he the head of the student council? Why is he the president of the shul? Why is she the chair of the sisterhood? It's my turn. I want. I'm capable. So what should the answer be? The answer should be, you're going about it the wrong way. It's damaging. It's destructive. Don't, you're going about it the wrong way. But I love your ambition. I love your aspiration. Let's channel it. Let's bottle it. Let's embrace it. Let's lean into it. What can we do with that thirst? What can we do with that, attitude, that, ap, that uh, appetite for more? We got to find a role. We got to find a perspective. Moshe should not have squashed it. Moshe should not have extinguished it. Moshe should not have said, Rav Lachem, listen, don't look for more. Be satisfied with what you have. We don't believe that. Now it happens to be this is a machlokas. We could talk more about it another time. Do we believe that a person should be sameach bechelko and ruchnias? A person should be happy with their lot in the physical material world. Should they also be happy with their lot in the spiritual world? So at least according to Rav Druk here, the answer is no. Do not be satisfied with your lot in the spiritual world. Crave more. Reach higher. Demand further. Want more. Korach and his Eidah wanted more. 
And Moshe shouldn't have said, Shashtel, be happy with what you've got. He should have said, that's amazing. It's beautiful. Now let's find a place for it. Now let's redirect it. Now let's channel it. When it comes to the physical material world, we should be satisfied with little. When it comes to spiritual matters, there ain't shum mutsarum. Adaraba, kakoshi yishaf adam lasalas od vaod kain yitavlo. The more we aim and the more we strive higher, the more God will help us. And that's why Hashem says, Why'd you tell them Ravlachem? Because you said Ravlachem, I tell you Ravlach. You said, Here's the boundary, don't pass it, stay in your lane. Says God, I'm going to tell you, stay in your lane. Here's your boundary. You're not coming into Israel. Now we understand why that was Mida Keneged Mida. Moshe says, stay in your lane, don't cross the line. So God says, because of that, I'm telling you, stay in your lane. Don't cross your line. You're not coming into Israel. Be satisfied with what you've got. But the lesson for Moshe, the lesson for us, is when it comes to Ruchnius, strive and reach higher. Sometimes a person is striving inappropriately. They're striving in a way which is wrong. But you've got to redirect it, not try to extinguish it. Perek Tezayim, Pasuk Tezvav. Perek Tezayim, Tezvav. Moshe Rabbeinu gets a little bit defensive. He summons Dosan Va'aviram. And he says to them, Moshe gets, what does the word Vayichar mean? I would think the word is angry, but Rashi doesn't translate it. Rashi says, He's distressed. Why doesn't he say Moshe got angry? Several commentators tackle that. We're not going to get into it today. But I saw several ask that question. Shouldn't Rashi say Vayichar? Vayichar means kas. He got angry. So why does Rashi go out of his way to translate it differently? But anyway, Moshe got angry, and he says, Hashem, El Hashem, he says, Hasam, don't turn to their gifts. Don't give in. Why? I never took as a single donkey. I never ever had the shul pay for an Uber ride, nor have I wronged them in one way. Why is Moshe saying that now? Says Rashi, Lo chamoru shalachem hem natalti, afil kshalachti mimidyal mitzrayim, virkafti as ishtiv as benai al chamor, hayolilito also al chamor mishalahem, lo natalti ela mishali. When I traveled from Midian back to Egypt in order to emancipate, to liberate, to take them out, and I should have been reimbursed, I wasn't reimbursed. I took it from my own pocket. I paid out of my own expense. Why? Because no one would ever be able to say I was on the take, I was biased, I had a debt of gratitude I had to have. And therefore, lo chamor echad mehem nasasi. So, I saw the word chamor also is the word chomer. In the language of the Maharal of Prague, in the language of the Helga Maharal, we talk about chomer and sura. Chomer means the material. Sura is the form, the shape it has. So, when Moshe rides the chamor, the donkey he rode from Midian to Egypt was the same donkey. Misheshis mebreshis. It's the donkey Mashiach's going to ride on. What does that mean? That's one altakakar donkey. That is one old donkey. How does that donkey support the weight of all these people riding it, even though he's hundreds or thousands of years old? The answer is it doesn't literally mean donkey. It means the same attitude towards Chomer. Moshe and Avraham and Mashiach, they rode the donkey. What that means is they gave a tzura to the Chomer. They took the material, the physical world, and they elevated it. They transformed it. Bilam did something else with his donkey. We'll get to that, Parshish Bolak. Bilam did something else with his donkey, inappropriate, because he didn't shape the chamor, the chomer. He didn't take the material world and give it shape and meaning and purpose. He gave in. He indulged in that material, physical world. So I saw interpretation. That's what it means. When Moshe Rabbeinu says, Lo chamor echad mehem nasasi, 
I never gave in to Chomer, to Chomrius. I never gave in to the physical material world. I don't have the same drive, appetite. I don't give in to the same, the same uh, longing. And how could they accuse me? How could they challenge me in this way? Revolba has a different interpretation. The great Mashkiach, Neshiri, Chomesh, and Korach, Revolba says the following. Moshe daven to Hashem and he said, don't take their offering. Why? Don't turn to them. I didn't even take one donkey. And Rashi tells us when he traveled to Midian to Mitzrayim, what would have been so terrible? Couldn't Moshe have been reimbursed? Didn't he deserve to be reimbursed? He laid out expenses to take his family to Egypt. He was happy in Midian. He was safe and secure in Midian. He was protected in Midian. Why did he have to lay out his own money? And why didn't he deserve to be reimbursed? So Moshe was declaring, says Revolba, that he was free from any negias. He had no bias. In his role as Bnei Israel's leader, he had no benefit, none. He didn't take any money. He didn't take any reimbursement, anything even if he was deserving. The true test of a person's greatness says Revolba, you see from this Rashi, is our attitude towards money. In other words, sometimes you got to get paid. I'm paid. I'm not embarrassed to say I'm paid. It's my profession. It's my career. I've got to take care of my family. I'm paid. The question is, do you do it for the money or do you do it as a calling? I've written an article, you know, if you buy a lottery ticket, the lottery, the mega millions, gets up some of these absurd amounts. So the question is, what would you do if you won? You can't buy more than one ticket because if God wants you to win, you'd win with one ticket. You can only buy one ticket, hashkafically, maybe halachically. You buy one ticket. If you'd win the lottery, what would you do? So if the answer is that if I won the lottery, I'd quit my job tomorrow, then it's a job, not a calling. If you won the lottery, you would continue. It's a calling, not a job. So the question is, what is your calling and what is your profession? What is your career? When Moshe Rabbeinu says, I didn't take one donkey. I wasn't reimbursed for one Uber ride. I didn't do anything. I didn't take any money. What he was saying was, I was never in it for the money. I'm not in it for the Chomer. It's a calling. This is my life's mission. And how could you challenge? How could you undermine? How could you be suspicious? How could you doubt? We need money to live, but the money has to be earned honestly. And the money should not be the driver. The money should be what I need in order to live. But really, it should be a calling. It shouldn't be something that we're trying to. It's all about the, it's all about the money. The ground swallows them up. The ground swallows them up. Why is it that the ground swallowed them up? That's the, that's the, um, that's the punishment. A bunch of people sent me. I don't know if you saw Jerusalem Post had an article in Yerushalayim. There was a huge sinkhole. Of course, the week of Parshas Korach. A great sinkhole opened up in a parking lot in Yerushalayim. The ground opened up and swallowed what was on top of it. Of course, that happened in Parshas Korach. And of course, I will not use it in the drasha because every other rabbi on the planet will be. So anyway, Vatiftach Haaretz as Pia Vativla Osam. The earth opened its mouth and it swallowed them. Perek Zayin Pasuk Lamed Beis. Why such a, uh, why such a bizarre, why such an extreme, why suspend the rules of nature for this punishment? So the Tzadik Rebzev of, of Strikov, the Strikover asks, why were Korach and his Eida punished in this very unusual manner, this unusual fa- fashion? So he answers, Mishum Shemosh Rabbeinu Hayatna Mikol Adam, Mashapane Adama, Uvene Atzmo Hayamamash Afar Ve'efer, because Moshe was the humblest of all people. Moshe saw himself as the ground. Moshe saw himself as dust and ash. And they still accused him of asserting himself over them. Therefore, if Moshe was so low to the ground, and yet they accused him of being arrogant, they had to be brought even lower. There's only one place lower than the ground, and that is to be swallowed within the ground. Says the Strickover, that's why Hashem brought about this unusual punishment. What a bizarre, what an unusual punishment. Why did Hashem bring it about? 
because their whole accusation was, you're exalting and elevating yourself. But Moshe really was, offer of Afer. He saw himself parallel to the ground. They had to be brought even lower than where Moshe really was. The only way to be brought even lower than that was to be brought into the ground itself. It says, ish. When they each take the staff, we're ending with this. When they each take the staff, and it's supposed to blossom, and it'll test Aaron's blossoms, the other doesn't. The Pasuk says, Vayiru, Vayikhu ish matehu. They all saw, and everyone came back to take their own staff. So the Helege Imre Emes, Rav Avram Modcha of Ger, the Ger Rebbe says the following, Bialdusi shamati b'shem Rebbe Rabbonim, B'mianichu yachar ha'chavilu shel kolachar de'echar yikochal echar es'chavilasa b'chazara. We've all heard the adage that if everybody would walk into a room and they'd put down the pekel on the table, their challenges, their problems, their opportunities, their gifts, their simchas, the whole package of our lives, if everybody would put it down on a table, you'd go back to your package and you'd pick up what you put down. And says of, of the uh, Imre Emes, based on this Pasuk, they went back and everyone took their staff. When you see in life, everyone goes back and everyone takes their staff. The Targum, the Unklus, the Aramaic translation of the word Vayiru, they saw, is V'isht Moda'u. Whatever is our lot in life, it's what's meant for us. Don't be jealous. Don't watch. Don't look at. You know how often I go to a simcha and I think to myself, everyone here is watching and they think, Ooh, that's a perfect marriage. Ooh, that's a perfect child. Ooh, that's a perfect everything. If only I had. Little do they know the challenge, the struggles. Little do they know the truth of what's happening behind the scenes. If we knew the whole picture, we would take back our peckle. Vayiru, if we could see, if we had insight, if we saw with peripheral vision, if we saw the whole package, the whole picture, the yichu ishmatehu, we take back our peckle. We take back our staff. We would never want what anyone else has. All right, oh, as always, we had more to say, but we'll end here. We are on again next week. Please, God, tomorrow morning, 15 minutes of Masil Sasharim at, 10 minutes of meaning, rather, at 8.15, Living with the Moon at 8.45. Tomorrow night, we're going behind the beam at 9 p.m. with Bidi Deutsch, the great marathon runner, who is a wonderful, wonderful role model tomorrow night, 9 o'clock. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.